Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. So good to have you guys all in the house. And those of you that are watching online, it's, it's been an incredible season here at Restoration Life. And we look forward to everything else um, that God is doing. And man, I'm excited about the potential of reopening up our country here and uh, coming up here in July. And um, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but, but I'm really praying about a good opportunity or the right time um, for us to relax um, masks in this house um, and make them optional at some point. And uh, I know people have different religious beliefs about their masks. <laughs> and I'm not going to touch on it. Um, I will say this, that I miss seeing all of your beautiful faces. And we do want to keep everybody as healthy and as strong as possible. And we just want to wait on the timing of what the Holy Spirit has to say. Because um, right now, I really don't believe what anybody else has to say. Um, but we do want to keep everybody as safe as possible. So let me just say once again, thank you for everybody who um, has put on the mask and has um, honored one another in love. Um, to try to keep everybody as protected as possible for the season that we're in. But hopefully we're at the tail end of this thing. Can anybody agree with me on that? Hopefully we're at the tail end of this thing and we'll come out of it a lot stronger than we went into it. And so um, we've got a baby dedication or a couple baby dedications this morning. And so I'm going to ask our pastoral team to come to the platform and I'm going to ask the beautiful Cortez family. Come on, would you give them a big... Big Restoration Life, welcome. And uh, we are going to dedicate Alizé and Eli today. And uh, wow, what a beautiful family. What's going on? It's so good to see you. And why don't you guys come, come, up, come up here a little bit closer. And, and how, how old are they? He's from seven and she's three. She just, she just turned three, right? Last week. Yeah. And, and he's seven. And man, what a beautiful family you guys have. And, you know, we're honored at Restoration Life to be able to dedicate our children. And, and the reason why we dedicate our children is because we love to stay biblical. And for those of you that are new to Restoration Life, we don't baptize our children here at Restoration Life when they're babies because they don't know any better. And if you take DNA class, you'll know that baptism is an open testimony confession of an inner faith in Christ Jesus. So we know that babies can't do that. And so um, I grew up a Catholic and I was baptized as a Catholic. Um, but it really was more about my family partying afterwards than it really was me having an encounter with God. Um, but as I grew up, Jesus was 30 years old when he got baptized. But when he was a baby, they took him to the temple and they dedicated Christ to the temple. And of course, in the Jewish tradition, they would circumcise the children. So don't worry, little man, we're not doing any circumcision here today <laughs> or at all, ever. <laughs> but we do dedicate our children to the Lord. The Bible says to train up your child the way that they should go. And when they're older, 
um, they won't depart. And so our heart's desire is to see mom and dad raise up their children in Christ so they become strong in Christ and build a personal relationship with Christ. We also know that for mom and dad that our children watch us as we serve God. And so they see Christ in us and that's how they learn how to be Christ-like is by watching mom and dad. And so while we are dedicating your children today, we are also praying over mom and dad. Because how many know mom and dads need all the prayer that they can get today? So I'm gonna ask the church family to do one thing. Stand to your feet with me, stretch your hands forward. We are gonna dedicate Alize and Eli to the Lord and know that you were created in God's image, that you were made in his likeness, and that he put his spirit on your family. And so we wanna pray for the Cortez family and for these beautiful um, children that you have, that God would protect your family, bring favor over your family, and for you to continue to thrive as a Christian family in the season that we're living in. So stretch your hands forward with me. We're going to pray. We're going to come into agreement. Then afterwards, we're going to say in Jesus' name, and we're going to celebrate together as a family of God, because we believe that we are a family. Amen? And so let's do this together. So Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we dedicate these beautiful children to you, Lord God. They belong to you. They're yours. You created them. And you put your spirit on them. And so, Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you protect them, that you put favor on them, that you bring long life to them. God, that you give them good health and that your spirit lead them and guide them all the days of their life. Today, we dedicate them to you, Lord God. And Father, we pray over mom and dad. We pray that you continually lead them and guide them as Christian parents, Lord as being a reflection of your light and love in their lives. God, that they would provide for them, that they would protect them, and that they would raise them to know you and to love you by their exampleship. And God, we just thank you over their family. We pray for favor and blessing over their family. And we ask you for all of this in Jesus' name. And the family of God said, come on, can we just celebrate today? All right, all right. God bless you guys. What an honor. Welcome to the family of God. So good to have you guys apart. Man, this is, this is what being a part of the church family is. And today, if you have your Bibles, open to Acts chapter 4. I want to finish this thought, um, this sermon that I have entitled, um, Have You Been With Jesus? Because how you answer that will determine how you're living. It'll answer how you're loving and how you're responding or reacting to the season that we're living in as a church and as Christians. And so in Acts chapter 4, we're going to get into this word. And again, I'm going to ask you the question throughout this message, have you been with Jesus? So let's pray. We're going to pray one more time. We're going to close our eyes, bow our heads. We want to remove all distraction, and we want to ask for God's Word to speak. We're going to ask for God's Holy Spirit to speak and to quicken us, to correct us, rebuke us, instruct us, equip us, help us in this season. So, Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I pray, Father, for your living Word. I pray, for Father, for this time together, Holy Spirit, that you would have dominion in this room that you would use this opportunity to speak to every son and daughter that you have in this room right now. 
God, that even in this moment, we would start casting all our cares upon you. Because they're not ours to carry, they're yours to heal. And so, Father, even right now, Lord, I lift up those that are watching online. And Lord, as you have just quickened my, my spirit right now, I lift up Adriana Maciel's mom. And I pray against cancer. I rebuke cancer right now in the name of Jesus. And as a church family, we come into agreement for complete and total healing of all cancer. And for anyone here who has family members right now, God, that we were standing together. Maybe you have a family friend or family member that's dealing and fighting through cancer. If that's you, just raise your hand. We want to come into agreement with you right now for complete and total healing and restoration of cancer. Father, in Jesus' name, for complete and total healing of cancer right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we rebuke that disease off of your children and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring the miraculous upon the natural and that they would be set free completely and totally by the power of the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, over their lives. And God, together we come in agreement and we thank you for that. We praise you and we thank you in advance for things as though they are. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, come on, can you give God maybe another big shout of praise? Man, next week is Palm Sunday, and we're kicking off a new series entitled Torn. And if you haven't already RSVP'd for Good Friday, listen, it's not, you're not having to pay for a registration or anything like that. But we, what you are doing is you're reserving your seat. And so we do have a 6 p.m. and an 8 p.m. service, so please make sure that you reserve your seat for Good Friday. And then on Sunday morning, we're going to celebrate, we're going to party, we're going to have a Holy Ghost party because there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because the Holy Ghost party don't stop, right? So we're going to have a party here. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to have three services for you to choose from, all identical, 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11.30. And uh, we're going to celebrate that together as a family. There's going to be photo booths outside for you to take pictures and have fun. And and who knows, we might even um, do something a little bit unique and different uh, to just to kind of... Uh, have some fun down in the cafe. But listen, we want you to come. It's going to be a great time whether you're watching online or here in person. But if you have Bibles, Acts chapter 4, I just want to catch it up real quickly. Then I just want to unpack some thoughts. And then I just want to spend some time in worship and prayer, if that's okay, with all of you. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now that's revival. And we know that if the men were experiencing revival, we also know that their families were experiencing revival. So more than likely that what was added to the number that day was well over 5,000. Um, but they were represented by the men that were in attendance. The next day, the rulers of the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas and the high priest were there. And so were Cephas, John Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them again and, uh, to question them and said, By what power or by what name do you do all of this? Now, let me give you just a little bit of context. Prior to this, they healed a lame man, a man that was crippled throughout all his life. 
they healed him by laying hands on him and speaking out the name of Jesus over him, and he was miraculously healed. He got up and walked, and everybody was taken back by what was going on. Now, let me give you a little bit more context to what was going on, because for you and I, the church, we've experienced Christianity throughout our life, forever how old you are, forever how long you've been serving God. But in this day, this is the first century of Christians. This is actually probably the first 10 years of Christianity. First 10 years of Christianity within the first 40 years of Christianity. And Christianity was something that was brand new. It was something different. And to the Jews, to the leaders, to the religious Pharisees, to the scribes, to the Sanhedrin, to the government of the religious order of the Hebrew people in Jerusalem back in that day, this was blasphemous. It was blasphemous to declare the name of Jesus. It was blasphemous to lay hands on somebody in the name of Jesus and see them completely and totally healed by the miracle power of God working in and through very common and ordinary men. They were not prophets. Um, they were not the Messiah. Um, they were not anything other than ordinary men. And we'll look at this in just a minute because this is what they were taken back by. They weren't schooled rabbis, Pharisees, scribes, or part of the Sanhedrin. These were fishermen who were of a lower class citizenship. And they were doing miracles in the name of Jesus. This would be like you and I walking into Rome in Vatican City and declaring the name of Jesus and the Pope and all the Catholic order as blasphemous. This is what Peter and John were doing. They were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They didn't care who heard. They didn't care who saw the miracles. All they cared about was pleasing God with their life. It's all they cared about. So here, here they are, they're preaching, they're teaching, they're laying hands on these people, and in doing so, a miracle takes place, and everybody takes notice, specifically those that were in spiritual authority. And so the Bible says that many people were added to this movement called Christianity now. And now everybody is taking notice. They can't do this. This is unlawful. This is ungodly. They're stirring up division. They're stirring up dissension. And we've got to stop them. So what do we do? We're going to arrest them and we're going to imprison them. And then they basically got around each other and they said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about stopping these men from preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus? What are we going to do about these men preaching the name of Jesus and in the power of the name of Jesus seeing people miraculously healed? How do we stop them from doing what they have done? And I'm reminded of a rabbi by the name of Gamaliel who was, you know, brought kind of the same question, right? They said, he said how do we stop these men from doing what they're doing? And Gamaliel, a very wise Pharisee, said this. He made this statement. He said, if it's not from God, you don't have anything to worry about. But if it is from God, you're not going to be able to stop it. 
You're not going to be able to stop it. So here we are in verse number five. The Bible says, The next day the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas and the high priest were there. So were Cephas, John, Alexander, and the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and questioned, What power or what name do you do this? And then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that's important. Because there's no way they'd be able to do what they were doing unless they were filled with the Holy Spirit. You say that again. There is absolutely no way that they would be able to see this lame man healed without the power of the Holy Spirit functioning in them and through them. But let me also say this. There is no way that these men would be able to stand with boldness in front of those that murdered Jesus and declare to them how they were able to do what they were doing. But they were able to do so because they were empowered and emboldened by the baptism of fire of the Holy Spirit on and in their life. And so the Bible says, and Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I find it interesting that the writer of the book of Acts documented that Peter was filled. So as to teach generation after generation that this isn't something that you'll be able to do on your own strength, on your own power, on your own ability, for you to be able to function the way that these men function, you are going to need the fire of the Holy Spirit on your life. And then he says, the rulers and the elders of the people um, were called to account that day for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ, and let me just make sure that you know who he is and where he was from, of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. So they weren't like, it's because I'm a, an anointed man of God. It wasn't like, I've got the gift of the Holy Ghost on me. It wasn't like, I'm here to make myself famous. I'm not a celebrity Christian. They were like, there is no other name by which this could have happened. It came by way of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you, and I'm gonna call you out now, whom you crucified, whom you killed, whom you murdered. But God raised him from the dead. That this man stands before you. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. Now they're making a bold declaration right here. Because to say that salvation is found in no one else was blasphemous. This is the reason why they killed Jesus. Because he declared to be the son of God. In fact, he declared to be God manifested in the flesh. This is, was blasphemous. Sorry, this was blasphemous to the religious leaders of the law back in that day 
And this is the reason why they killed Jesus. Now these same men who scattered and ran and hid when Jesus was being crucified are now standing in boldness before the very same people that killed Jesus and makes the same declaration in this way. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, for those of you that are new to restoration life or new to Christianity in itself, this portion of scripture right here is a truth that we all need to adhere to. That there's only one name under heaven that is given that you and I can be saved by, and his name is Jesus. Let me say it to you this way. Mary can't save you. Buddha can't save you. Muhammad can't save you. Gandhi can't save you. Come on, Oprah. Trump. Biden. Kamala. There is no other name. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You can't even come into a relationship with my father unless you surrender to me. And so when your family members, because I've heard this said to me as I was growing up as a, you know, when I became a Christian, oh, there are a lot of ways to heaven. No, there's not. That is a lie from the pit of hell. There is no other name. There is no other way. You'll never be good enough. You can't buy your way in. Your tax bracket won't give you that kind of privilege. You can't have white privilege into heaven, black privilege into heaven, Latino privilege into heaven, Asian pri- No other name. Only in the name of Jesus. And not just the prosperity gospel Jesus, because that, that's not the same Jesus that we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The one that died, took your sin and my sin and nailed it to the cross and paid the full ransom to bring you into a right relationship with God the Father. There is no other way. There is no other way. Crystals, Ouija, no other way. Without Jesus, you're lost. Let me say it to you in a very blunt way. Without Jesus, there is no hope for heaven. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. Because you're not here by coincidence. You're here by God incidence. God invited you into this place today by way of a loved one or somebody that reached out to you. And you need to hear this, that God loved you so much that he wasn't willing that you perish. And so that he gave his utmost best by giving his only begotten son so that you, the whosoever of this world, would not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you and he gave you Jesus. And if you refuse Jesus, Jesus said, if you reject me before man, I will reject you before my father. That's truth. And we all need to hear that from time to time. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And the religious, this, this, this ticked off the religious leaders. 
Because for them, Jesus was not the Messiah. For them, Jesus was not the manifestation of God himself. For the religious leaders, this was an occult. This was blasphemous. This was, you know, this was penalized by death. And we know this because they killed Jesus. And then, and then after they killed Jesus, then, then they went after Jesus' people. They went after his disciples. But here are two of his disciples standing with boldness and authority and saying, the way that we're doing what we've done is in Jesus. You remember him, don't you? You killed him. You murdered him. You crucified him. And now they're saying this once again. And then these people, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These men had been with Jesus. Now, what I want to say to you today is that when you have an encounter with Jesus, you never walk away the same. When you have an encounter with Jesus, he changes you. He transforms you. He heals you. He restores you. He forgives you. He grafts you into his family. He becomes a part of you. That's why he said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, ask of the Father whatever according to his will in my name and you will receive it. Why? Because we're together. We're one in this. This is a hard thing for some people to understand because there's a difference that I think we need to, we need to expose. Because the Bible says that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, what I want you to hear this morning is that it was the Spirit-filled boldness that was born out of a personal relationship with Christ that enabled them to lay hands on the sick and to stand boldly in front of those that killed Jesus, knowing that they too would end up paying with their life for what they were saying and doing. And so the first thing that we talked about last week, and we tackled a lot more, and I hope that you go back and watch it, but the first thing that we talked about last week is that I believe this to be true about all Christians. When you come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, and you become a born-again believer, you become a Christian, you receive the free gift of salvation, you surrender to that love, and you become a part of God's family, and God releases himself through the person of the Holy Spirit to be in you and to seal you for the day of his return. But then there's another thing that takes place that we call the baptism of fire. And that baptism of fire or that outpouring of his gifting that rests on all believers isn't for our personal use, but for our public use of declaring boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason why you and I have the gifts that we have is because God poured out those gifts by way of the person 
of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the good work that he called us to do as Christian believers. And so, yes, we do believe in speaking in tongues. Yes, we do believe in interpreting tongues. Yes, we do believe in prophetic. Yes, we do believe in miracle signs and wonders. Why? Because God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he didn't remove those gifts. He continues to pour out those gifts in so much that he said, on the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit and all of your sons and daughters are going to prophesy and they're going to dream dreams. And these things have happened and they continue to happen because since Jesus resurrected from the dead, the clock of the last days began to tick. And the church is on mission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The church was never on mission to have a beautiful worship experience in a location. The church was never on mission to create a youth ministry, a young adults ministry, a singles ministry, marriage ministry, a food distribution service. This, you know, we've made it to fit our narrative as human beings. But the mission of the church has always been primarily to preach the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. Now, as we do that, we feed. And as we do that, we clothe. And as we do that, we visit those in prison. And as we do that, we counsel broken marriages. And as we do that, we have young adults ministry and we have youth ministry and we have children's ministry and we have worship experiences and we have conferences for training. But never forget and never reject that the primary function of the body of Christ is to preach the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is that if we're walking in the fire of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because back then, they were confronting the Romans. They were confronting the religious leadership. And they were confronting people that would pull their swords, draw their swords, and kill you on sight. How do I know that? Because there was a man by the name of Saul that was on mission from the Pharisees and they got one of the first disciples by the name of Stephen and he became the first martyr. And as he became the first martyr, Saul of Tarsus was sitting there watching it happen and validating it. Why? Because they had every right to do so because this new movement called Christianity needed to be stopped. It needed to be quenched. But in the words of Gamaliel, if it's from God, you're not going to be able to stop it. And we know 2,000 years later that it was from God and it is from God and God's not done. And so we need to be baptized, not just the way John was baptized for the remission of our sins, but we need to be baptized in fire because we need, we need the Holy Spirit to do what we've been called to do. We're not going to be able to do what we do on our own strength, on our own intelligence. And listen, I love the creativity of our church. I 
love, love the creativity of our church. I love the personality of our church. But our church isn't our church without the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit. We can have good programs. We can have great ministries. We can have awesome outreach. But there's something about the power of the Holy Ghost that changes everything. And I think that there are people in this room that have yet to experience it. And I'm telling you, it's, there's a difference in being saved and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and baptized in fire. And what I talked about last week, and I'm just going to allude to this real quickly because we're coming to a close we need the baptism of God's holy fire. And the best way to receive it is just to ask for it. I think we overcomplicate the baptism of fire. I need somebody to lay hands on me. I need somebody to blow on me. <sighs> I need somebody to throw a towel at me. Some, you know, no, you just need to ask. And his Holy Spirit will come upon you. Not to save you and to see you. He's already there. But there's this gifting that he starts to pour in and pour out. It's, it's the same gifting that Isaiah, I think, when, when he heard the angels in heaven talking about who will go for us. And who will we send? And he responds with, here am I, send me. The word of God, it's like a fire. It's shut up in my bones and I can't contain it. I dare not contain it. And I've had so many people ask, how do you stay on fire for God? And my response is always, don't quench the spirit. That's how you stay on fire. It really is simple. But we quench the spirit all the time. I'm going to share with you just a couple of scriptures, then I'm going to go to point two, and then I want us to respond to whatever the Holy Spirit is asking you to respond to. Because Peter and John land with a boldness that I think many, many of us lack in, because we're living in a very hypersensitive culture right now. Would you agree to that? Like, everybody is so easily offended. We become so sensitive. Like, hypersensitive. Like, we walk into church and somebody looks at you a little tueco and you're like, never going back to that church. Like, you should have seen the way that sister looked at me. How do you know she wasn't constipated? And she was just like looking at me. We're so sensitive. Nobody said hi to me. Did you say hi to anybody? Which is so sensitive. We become like Delamo Christians. We're just looking for the store that we like that fits our need. And we just go shopping for what we like and what fits our narrative. And if the pastor's not in a suit 
I leave. If the lights are too bright, I leave. If the sound's too bright long or loud, I leave. If, if the temperature, if the room temperature is not to my liking, I leave. If there isn't this massive plexiglass on the platform, I leave. If my pastor rebukes me in truth, I leave. If I'm corrected or instructed because maybe I had a bad interpretation of something, I, you know, we just become so hypersensitive over everything. Could you imagine if this first generation disciples were as sensitive as a lot of people in Christianity today? Like these guys are standing before murderers and they're going, the Jesus you crucified is the one that I live for. And far be it from me that I do anything to please man. I don't do anything to please man. I please God before. I don't have a problem with loving on you, but my life is all about pleasing God. I worship for the audience of one. I serve for the audience of one. But so many people are so easily offended. And so if, if you're easily offended, pucker up a little bit. And just let God toughen you up a little bit in the spirit. Because there's no way you and I are going to be able to be the church God called us to be, being sensitive about everything. We talk about sex in church, you're offended. We talked about hell in church, you're offended. We talk about repentance, you're offended. We talk about dying to yourself, you're offended. I was just telling this to Pastor Max in the, in the back. You know what I was raised up in? My pastor, like, like when I was hurt by what people were saying and doing, and all, my pastor taught me this way. He said, you know what? You need to learn how to die to yourself. And I was like, I am, I'm carrying my cross. He goes, no, you're not. If you were carrying your cross, you would be dead to yourself. And he said this to me, and I'll never forget it. And I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say the same thing to all of you. He goes, Eddie, you can't hurt a dead man. Learn how to be a dead man walking. If you could just learn how to die to yourself and live for Christ, you'll never be offended. I'm a dead man walking. You're a dead woman walking. Somebody looks at you, Chueco. Somebody says something you don't like. You go to love on somebody and they don't receive your love. Oh, well. Not my problem. You're not my problem. I'm not your problem. We're carriers of the glory of heaven. And the only hope this world has is Jesus. And you carry Jesus in you everywhere that you go. Titus 3, 5 says he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting that Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus saying? Not everybody that goes to church is going to go to heaven. <laughs> but who will? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's what Jesus said. 
I'm going to make this point in the next 10 minutes and we'll close. Here's my second point. You can be in proximity of Jesus and not have any relationship with him. Luke chapter 843, there's this beautiful story. Let me just show you, let me just go back to Saul of Tarsus. Because when they were stoning Stephen, if you look at the story, Stephen was a servant leader amongst the disciples. And he was bold. He was bold as a young man of God. The first one to be put to death after Jesus for his faith in Jesus. And as they were putting him to death, the Bible says that heaven was peeled back and he was able to see his Father in heaven. Like God allowed him to see him while he was dying. And you know who was in the proximity of that? Saul. Saul, who we know, ends up becoming Paul, the apostle, was in proximity of heaven being opened. Open heaven. And a disciple giving up the ghost to be with the Father in heaven on behalf of Jesus. Saul was in proximity of that and didn't even recognize it. Then he was licensed to go and kill some more Christians. And on the road to Damascus, he has an encounter with Jesus himself. And he says, well, we know he's on the road to Damascus. He's riding his horse with some letters to go persecute and incarcerate some more Christians. And a light from heaven comes, knocks him off his high horse, puts him flat on his back. He's blind. He can't see. And all he hears is, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, why would Jesus say this if he's already in heaven? Because when you mess with God's people, you're messing with Jesus himself. And Jesus is like, why are you persecuting me? And Saul doesn't even recognize Jesus. And he goes, who are you, Lord? And he's like, I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. And then he goes and he, and he, said, and he sends him to a house. And he says, stay there. I'm going to send one of my sons to go give you your eyesight back. And he speaks in a vision to a man by the name of Ananias. And he tells him, go lay hands on Saul of Tarsus because he's waiting for you. And, and, and Ananias is like, but, but that guy kills people like me. And he goes, don't worry about it. Man up. Go do what I told you to do. He goes, EV translation, goes, lay hands on Saul. The scales that were on Saul's eyes are removed and in an instant, he's transformed from Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle. The very person or people group that he was persecuting is the people group that God uses to return his eyesight to him. He goes on to write a third of the New Testament as Paul the Apostle 
the one that we received all of our doctrine from heaven from. But here's a man who was in the proximity of, of Jesus, who was in the proximity of the presence of God and needed to get knocked off his high horse to have an encounter with Jesus. And I just feel like there are some people here, this is a warning to some of you. Be careful what you say and how you say it and who you talk about because you're talking about God's people. And when you persecute God's people, you're, you're persecuting Jesus. I, I find it amazing that some people have the audacity to talk about God's bride because me as a man, you talk about my wife, I'm gonna lay hands and feet on some of you in Jesus' name. I'm gonna cast it out. And then you have this woman one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. It's a woman with the issue of blood. She's had to learn how to live in obscurity, distanced herself from everybody else. In Luke 8, 43, there's a woman with the issue of blood who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years and nobody could heal her. And she came up behind him and touched the edge of his garment and immediately her bleeding stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? Now, Again, you can be in proximity of Jesus and never have a relationship with Jesus and never be transformed by the power of Jesus. Because here are all these people, right? They're all like, all around Jesus. They're like just, man, they're just pushing up against them. And this woman who's got this issue of blood, who is um, in isolation, um, who is hiding who can't be around anyone. If she touches anyone, she'll make them ceremonially unclean. She presses through the crowd. She touches the hem of his garment. And in that instant, power is released from Jesus. And he says, who touched me? Now the disciples are like, Evie translation, bruh. What do you mean who touched you? Jesus, all these people are pressing up against you. Everybody's touching you. And he's like, nah. There's a lot of people around me. There are a lot of people in proximity of my presence, in proximity of my power, in proximity of my anointing, but they're not being touched. But there's this one woman who pressed in with faith and said, if I could only touch the hem of his garment, I can be healed. And she presses through the crowd and Jesus couldn't help but release power. And in a moment, this woman is healed. In a moment, this woman is restored. In a moment, this girl is being brought to testify because Jesus said, someone touched me. I know power has gone out for me. And then this woman seeing that she can no longer go unnoticed. I don't know who this is for today, but there are people that are sitting in this room. You've gone unnoticed for a long, long time, but God is about to do something new in your life. God's about to touch you in a different way, in a new way, and you're gonna experience power flow from heaven through the baptism of fire onto you, and you used to go unnoticed, but everybody's gonna notice you, not because there's something special about you, in you and God wants you to testify of his goodness and of his grace and of his love and of his mercy and you're not going to be unnoticed anymore because of his love for you.
those lions for the season that we're living in. We can't hide from a fight. We can't hide from being truthful and being honest. We have to do everything in truth and grace. But you gotta call sin out for what it is, it's sin. Enough with walking on eggshells around the political atmosphere. Enough with walking on eggshells about how people identify themselves. I feel like the church of Jesus Christ is dealing with a spiritual dysphoria. They don't know who they really are in Christ. It's kind of like my heart breaks for these people. I love them. But they identify as a male being a female. They identify as a female being, being a male. They identify as an older person, a younger person, a different color person, a different cultural person. And it is a mental disease. I believe it is a demonic oppression. A demonic oppression on people that are broken and hurting and the church needs to love them into a place of healing. We accept them in love, but we're not gonna wish wash the gospel to make anybody feel comfortable being in the same atmosphere. And I feel like there are a lot of Christians that are in this room and in the church in general that have a spiritual dysphoria. They don't even know who they are in Christ. They think they're one thing, but they're actually something else. It's dangerous to be around Jesus and not be with Jesus. Because there are too many people that are around Jesus, but they're not with Jesus. You'll never be bold enough. Boldness comes from knowing him and serving him not being in proximity of him. Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, ask my father according to his will. My father will hear from heaven and in my name give you your heart's desire. But according to his will, Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, he says, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated as, at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or an attempt to deceive, but just as that we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. There is a difference between being around Jesus and being with Jesus. Being around Christians and being with Jesus. Being around church events and being with Jesus. Being around leaders in the church and being with Jesus. The disciples had been with Jesus and knew him intimately. intimately. That's why they said, these are common ordinary, ordinary men. But one thing we know is that they have been with Jesus. And so my question to you is, have you been with Jesus? Because how long you've been, because when I read, when I read and I study my Bible, 
and it, and it increases my faith in God, that's me spending time with Jesus. When I come to church and I lift my hands in worship and I surrender my heart to the Lord and I lift him up in adoration and my love for him, it's not about singing my favorite song or it's not about having the atmosphere just right. I came here to receive his presence because I know that in his presence there is freedom. I know that as I surrender to that freedom that I've been with Jesus, I know that as I love God and serve God and as I love his church and serve his church, I'm spending time with Jesus. And I pray that that I've spent so much time with him in my word, in my prayer, in my worship, in my serving, in my preaching of the gospel, that my reflection looks more like Jesus than it does the world. Because we've got a massive problem in the church today. Not our church, but the church. Too many churches look more like the world than they do like the kingdom. Culture has influenced us to be relevant. Who cares about being relevant? I just want to be biblical. I just want to be biblical. Because God's word transcends all cultural differences. I'm tired of walking on political eggshells. I'm tired of walking on social bias eggshells. Can we just be salt and light again? Can we just be the, the church of Jesus Christ that loves the whosoever's of the world, no matter where they come from, what color they are, what damage they've done to themselves, what, what tax bracket they're in. Can we just be the church that God needs us to be for the season that you and I are existing today? Because I know one day I'm going to be brought into account. And the only one that I care about pleasing is my Father who's in heaven. I love you, but I don't do what I do to please any of you. And if, if that ticks you off, that's your problem, not mine. I, I want you to learn to love Jesus the way that I love Jesus and more. Because one day, you and I are all gonna stand before God and he's gonna say to us, what did you do with what I gave you to do? How did you steward the gifts that I poured out on you? How did you steward the sacrifice of my son on you? Did you just complain about everything? Was there a critical spirit on you? All I know is this. I want our church to magnify Jesus and Jesus alone. Nothing else, no one else. We wanna make Jesus famous. And if we're gonna take the South Bay, we're gonna to have to toughen up. Look at somebody tell them, toughen up. Who cares who's in the presidency? Who cares what's happened socially, economically? I know people are leaving California. Man, God bless you, go for it, do you. Do you. And if, and if that's what you have to do, I totally get it. But this is my Nineveh. 
And if Nineveh can be saved in the day, so can the South Bay. So can Los Angeles. So can California. So can the United States. This is our mission. We don't have to go on a missions trip. We're on mission. We're on mission already. This is our mission field. The South Bay. Come on, anybody with me? Come on, anybody with me? We're on mission already. So stand to your feet. You need to be emboldened. Like, you need that boldness. I want you to get out of your seat. I want you to come to this altar. We're going to pray for boldness on you right now. And it's going to come by way of fire. Fire from heaven. We're going to worship. These altars are going to be open to you. We're going to spend some time just praying for people. And I understand if you need to, if you need to go, if you need to pick up your kids, if you got to do that stuff, I want you to do that. And I don't want you to feel bad about it. But man, you need a boldness right now. Boldness at your job. Boldness in your family. Boldness amongst your friends. The kind of boldness that Peter and John had. Standing in the face of obscurity. Standing in the face of adversity. Standing in the face of, of people that wanted to do them harm. We're not talking about, you know, just being bold on social media. We're talking about being bold as fathers with our children. We're talking about being bold as husbands with our wives. We're talking about being bold as young adults and singles that will that will live whole. 